You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Father, we come to you because you have given us access through your son, our savior. We come as we prepare to hear your word. We just prepare, prepare our hearts Make us ready to hear. Take the scripture which is holy and true and right and apply it by your spirit to our heart. Quicken it to our spirit so that we may follow you, may love you, may be equipped by you to be your church. Uh, We think right now of our high school students, 50 or so of them, out in Statesboro, wherever that is. Uh, Lord, they're, they're having a great time. They're being equipped. They're being encouraged. They're being challenged. They're finding friends that will last lifetimes. Lord, use that time away, away from their phones, away from the the pressures of school and high school and all those things. Lord, just get their attention now, that they would remember now their creator in the days of their youth. Uh, And so just just grab them, Lord, and and grow them. And I pray for Talavo and his team that they would just just have a great weekend with these guys and girls, and there'll be much fruit. Lord, I pray for much fruit in our time in your word now. Please use me, even though I'm broken and sinful, willingly admitting that up here, that I am, that I am not worthy in any capacity to be your spokesperson, but yet you have called me to do it. And so I pray you would anoint me with your spirit so that I may do so in a way that your people are here and are encouraged. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat, you bunch of snakes. If you don't know what that means, you have to listen to last week's sermon. All right, go back on the podcast. We're going to jump in. Have you ever been just at a store, maybe it's one of your big box stores, and you just have no clue and you just need help? You You just need direction. You need someone to point you. You're looking for this. Go over there. Last week, I had to go to Barnes & Noble. Um, because my daughter needed a book the next day. Thanks for telling me, like eight hours later. And so I had to go get a Shakespeare book. 
It was my best shot. And of course, it's not just any Shakespeare book. It's this Shakespeare book and this version of Shakespeare book. Okay, it's Romeo and Juliet, the whatever version. And I don't didn't, I didn't even know there was more than one version. They all die in the end. It doesn't matter what version it is. Okay, so, but then I go, and so I go into the you know, place, and I, I've been there before, so I kind of got, got the gist. I go to the computer, and I type in Romeo and Juliet, and it's like, okay, gives you a little map. Okay, it's by the Legos. I'm like, I know where the Legos are, all right? Okay, so I, I can find it. I go over there. I'm in the old English section, and I find Romeo and Juliet, but they don't have the right version. They got like 17 other versions. Now, the computer said there was three copies of that version. And I'm looking, and there's no three copies. Now, in my mind, I'm having this battle. It doesn't matter. It's your daughter's fault anyway. Buy the book. It's five bucks. Buy the book. But I'm thinking, no, I got it. So I do what all men hate to do. I go to the help desk. <laughs> and I, I stand at the help desk, and of course, there's nobody there. Right? And I'm standing there, waiting. Five minutes. It's called the help desk. There's no help. I mean, where, where the, where's the help? And, and, and to make matters worse, this guy comes up to me and he goes, excuse me, do you work here? <laughs> and I said, and, I, and I'm having another internal battle. I'm thinking, do I look like the bookstore working here guy? And then I, I thought I should say that, but then I thought, I, I, that's very insensitive because I'm going to insult somebody, so I'm not going to say that, right? So, so I say, no, ha, 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 ha. And I'm waiting for help. And so, so I'm sitting there, and all I want is someone to tell me, do you have the three copies or not? Point me in the right direction. Show me where the books are, or tell me to buy the other version. But I just need some help, right? And so finally, someone comes out and helps me. And she was an expert, and she said, oh yeah, I think we have three copies. But here it is, good. Right copy, got out, no problem. I just needed someone who had been there, who was an expert, who knew what they were doing. I needed help. Have you ever been in life in a place where you just need help? You, you, you got a big decision, you, don't know, you just don't know what to do. You, you've train wrecked your relationships. You are in a financial bind and rent is due in two days and you got no money. You're lonely, you're angry, you're tired, you're hungry. And all you want is some help. Help. <laughs> right? That's all right. We don't mind that here. Just need someone who's been there. Someone who's an expert. Someone who knows what to do, how to do it. Right? But you're standing there at an empty booth. I got news for us as a church today. It's good news. You need some good news? I think some of you do. Ohio State fans need some good news. Alabama fans need some good news. Clemson fans need to remember you're not all that. I see the orange out there. Congratulations. My gift of prophecy was wrong. Here's some good news. That the help desk of life is not empty. That there is one who stands behind it. His name is Jesus. And I know in saying that, it's a little bit churchy and a little bit cheesy. I got that. I understand that. Right? And it, it, like Jesus is always the answer, right? You know the old Sunday school story, the, the teacher gets the kids, all right, kids, 
I'm thinking about something that's, that's gray and eats acorns and lives in a tree. And no one answers. Well, it, it's, it's furry and it's got a big bushy tail. And no one answers. And finally, one sheepish student in the back raises her hand and says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but it must be Jesus. <laughs> right? Because the answer is always Jesus. Okay? Well... Yes, and that's a little bit cheesy, but the answer truly is always Jesus. And I know that seems so pie in the sky, but the reason I think it's so cheesy and so pie in the sky is because we as a church, and I think rightfully so, always focus on the godness of Jesus, on his deity. And that is true. He is God. But we do so, and then we neglect the humanity of Jesus, which is the very thing that makes him able to stand behind the help desk. Because if we have this, only, this view that he's just this, this distant being and he's sitting on his throne, he's kind of out there, then that means he can't help me right here with this. And so we're going to look at a passage today that's going to drive home the humanity, the humanness of the Lord Jesus. And it's not as much a, what, what do I do when I need help? All right? It's not as much that. The, the question really we want to answer is, why is Jesus qualified to be at the help desk? Why is it that he can relate? What is it that makes him the person that I need to go to? That's really what we're going to be looking at today as we continue in our series on Luke. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 3. And as Drew kind of stole my sermon already um, beforehand, so I'll, I'll keep this short. Um, we, we've been in the series, we've called it Fall and Rising. Uh, I think we're eight weeks in. I don't know how many weeks we'll have, but we're only in chapter three and four, so you go do the math. Um, but what we've seen is we've seen the humble beginnings of, of John the Baptist and of Jesus. And last week we saw John preparing the way for Jesus, preparing our hearts with one simple message, Repent. Turn, turn from your sin, right? Today you're going to see the preparation of Jesus for his ministry. And in doing so, it shows us why he relates to us, why, why he is standing behind the help desk, why we can go to him. And really, kind of just three movements we're going to see. All, I, I, I kind of used my thesaurus this week, got three B's for you. But there's three movements. We got a baptism, we got a bloodline, and we got a battle. For us, for all you Baptists, that's four Bs, all right? All right. So we're going to work through that and just kind of look at these things and just see simply why, why should I go to Jesus? What qualifies him? All right, so we pick up in verse 21. And John has been baptizing. And now, here we are. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So John is doing his thing, baptizing people in the Jordan River. We find out from the other gospels that one day, Jesus comes to be baptized. And John is like, no, yo, no, no, I'm not going to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus tells him, you need to do this for now. You'll understand later. Right? You need to do this. But the big question is, because Luke kind of just makes a statement, yeah, Jesus was baptized. Why? 
I mean, why does Jesus get baptized? Because we saw that John's baptism was for the, for the repentance of sins. Jesus has no sin to repent of. So why is he being baptized? And there's all sorts of reasons people suggest, and I think there's some truth to a lot of them. He's validating John's ministry. He's foreshadowing what he's going to do in the death, burial, and resurrection, which baptism symbolizes. I think there's two big reasons that come out of this text. Number one is this is the start of the ministry of Jesus. What's he been doing for 30 years? We don't know because it doesn't say. We assume he was working in his daddy's shop. But he's just a nobody. He's just one of Joseph and Mary's four boys. They have four boys. He's the oldest. Everyone just thinks him of, that's Jesus, Joseph's boy. Nothing special about him. And now he's, he's, he's about to go into why he came here. He's about to start that whole deal. And so he comes forward and he gets baptized. This is kind of the, the starting place. And then in a private event later, if you, if you kind of study the, the, all the Gospels together, you realize that this whole spirit descending and, and a voice, it was a private affair. It wasn't public. Only John the Baptist saw it. But it's this, this anointing of Jesus by the, by the Trinity. All three members of the Trinity are there. And then God just kind of reaffirming, you're on the right path. You are my son. And it's a messianic title. It's a, he's the son of God. He is the true king of Israel. You are my son. With you, I am, I am pleased. I am delighted. This affirmation at the beginning of his ministry. So that's one reason. But here's, here's, I think, the biggest reason why Jesus was baptized. Because he is going to stand in the place of sinful people. That before he's going to preach his first sermon, before he's going to heal his first person, before he's going to command anyone to do anything, he is going to stand in the very place where the sinful people he came to save stand. He is going to identify publicly with them. And before he calls them to take up his cross and follow them, before he, he, he's going to command them to do this and do all these things, he is going to stand where they stood. He is going to walk where they walked. He's going to feel what they feel. He's going to experience what they experienced. Perfect God standing in the place of where sinful man, people that are getting baptized are admitting they're sinful. Here's God, not sinful, standing in their place, and he's not ashamed to do it. He's, he's, not, he's not doing it sheepishly. Church, this is, a, this is a sweet truth that I want you to grasp, that Jesus purposely comes to sinful people, and he doesn't ask you to get right and clean up your act and do five things before you can kind of come to him. He comes and stands where you would stand, purposely, publicly, willingly, joyfully. He identifies with his people for whom he came to save. Why? So that when you need help, when you need help with this or that or wisdom or strength, you can go to one that says, I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. He knows. He knows. And here's just a quick side application to this. It's not the main point of the text, but I think it's worth saying. If Jesus, the Son of God, is willing to stand in the nasty Jordan River and publicly identify with sinful people, are you willing to publicly identify with him in baptism? Because many of us have already been baptized and, and, that's, and that's what we're commanded to do. There's, there's some of you out there who would say, I'm a Christian. 
I identify with Jesus as a Christian, but you've never been baptized. And this is a text that kind of has to challenge you just a little bit, because the question will be, why? Well, it's just not that big a deal, since it doesn't save me. Jesus puts it in the Great Commission as one of the disciple-making processes. It's a big deal. It's a big deal of obedience, right? And if Jesus is not ashamed of you, why are you, I mean, the water that we put in this little tank is a lot cleaner than the Jordan. And we cheer a lot louder than those people. We got like all excited. They wanted to kill them. The point is this. If you are ashamed of Jesus, he says, I'll be ashamed of you. And so some of you need to take that step, and I want to challenge you. We're going to have a baptism in just a couple of months. Put your name on the list. You can register online. And if you want to debate all these different, oh, I don't know if I believe it, come in and we'll talk. But let's just not make a smokescreen. Let's be honest. Let's, let's follow Christ and what he has done. That's kind of a side application for you, all right? But the point is that Jesus is qualified to be our help. Why? He stood where we stood. Shamefully. He stood in our shame. He stood in our place. Didn't have to, chose to. That is his baptism. Next thing is his bloodline. And what Luke does is he goes into some of your favorite parts of the scripture, a genealogy. Right? Some of you are like, yeah, I did my quiet time in the genealogy of Jesus. No, you didn't. Don't lie about that. Okay. You didn't do that. If you did, come in for counseling. We got counselors. All right. But, but he, meant, he goes into this genealogy, which is for most of us a bunch of names. And it's actually one of two genealogies of Jesus in the scripture. There's another one in Matthew. Now, the point of, and there's a point to each one. Matthew's genealogy is to show that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham because that is a gospel that is directed to the Jews, right? So they were showing that he is the, the descendant of David. He's a descendant of Abraham. Luke's is a little bit different, and there's a couple names different. That's probably because one of, the, of, of them is using Mary's lineage and one of them is using Joseph's lineage, but Luke's point is not the same. He, he kind of goes through Abraham and then he blows right past it like the Energizer Bunny and keeps going. Look where, look where he ends. He says, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarag, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of whatever his name is, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel or something, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth the son of Adam, the son of God. He blows right on past Abraham and goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and he stops with Adam. With Adam. Why? Because Luke's point is that he's what? He is human. He is man. He has descendants that he actually entered into not just Jewish history, but human history as flesh and blood. And he had a family. You realize Jesus had a family. And, and that means that he sur was surrounded by just broken people all the time. He knew what it was like to get teased by the boys in the neighborhood. He knew what it was like to go to dinner and it not be your favorite meal. Oh, Mary, come on, you can do better than this, right? He knew what it was like to have his brothers and his sisters be mad at him. Because they're always mad at him because he's always doing good and they're always doing bad. He knew what it was like to fall and skin his knee. He knew what it was like to hear Mary and Joseph fighting in the back room. To have neighbors that were too loud. He knew what it was like to be disappointed. 
He knew what it was like to lose a parent. He knew what it was like to have friends abandon him, to get tired, sick, to be poor. He knew all those things. So why? So that if you are struggling with being poor, if you just lost someone, if you are tired and sick or hurt, that you have someone that you can go to and say, hey, I need help. And he can say, hey, I've been there. I got, I got the same bloodline. I, I, am, I was human. I am human. And the miracle of the incarnation is that Jesus was not just human for 33 years. Is that forever he will be human. Forever. He added humanity to his deity, right? So that he could help humanity. And notice the wording here at the end. It's, it's very significant. He goes back to Adam. What does he call Adam? The son of God. Very interesting phrasing, right? And you think, again, Luke is a genius. And where he puts his genealogy is on purpose. What, what was the last thing of the previous paragraph? You are my beloved what? Son. You're the son of God. What does he call Adam? The son of God. He is drawing the comparison between Adam and Jesus, who is called the late, the better Adam or the, the later Adam by Paul. There, there's so many similarities if you compare Jesus and Adam. I mean, think about it. Both are called the son of God. Both don't have earthly dads, right? Both were born without sin. Both face a huge test in a garden, Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. Both are tempted by Satan himself. Both are tested by a tree, Calvary, or a knowledge of good and evil. Both would be wounded in their side, fall asleep, and that would give birth to their bride, Eve, the church. Okay, there's all these similarities that you can't miss in the scripture between the first Adam and the later Adam, the second Adam. But here's the big difference. Where the first Adam failed, where he blew it, the second Adam wouldn't. And that leads to the last section we'll spend most of our time here in the battle. It's the big battle that Drew alluded to earlier. Chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So immediately after this, you are my beloved son, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness on purpose. I, I want you to think about this, because this, this, this goes right against the whole prosperity gospel junk that you hear out there on the television evangelists. The Spirit of God, on purpose, leads Jesus to a place that is hot, that is uncomfortable, that he will be tired, that he won't have food, that it will be scarce water, it will be uncomfortable, and he leads him right into the enemy's crosshairs. That's what the Spirit of God does, right? Why? So that when you in life are in the wilderness... So that when there's not much food, so when you're tired, when you feel like quitting, there's someone who's been there before. Except this one didn't fail. You don't go to Adam. No one's like, hail Adam, full of grace, blah, 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 blah. No one's doing that, right? Everyone, Adam gets the shaft, actually. I don't think he was such a bad guy. But here's the reality. He 
failed, and he was in the best possible place he could ever be. He is in perfect garden. Everything is great. I mean, there's, it's, it's the perfect environment, and he only has one stinking rule. Don't eat that one tree. He blows the one rule. Jesus is in the harshest possible place. Tested. And it says he was tested for 40 days. We get three specific temptations, but really I think he was being tempted the entirety of those 40 days. I think that Luke mentions these three and, and so do their other gospel writers because they, they hi- highlight the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, three major temptations that we all face. But Jesus is constantly under attack the entire time, right? And these temptations are specific for him, but they're very similar to what we face, right? So let's jump in and see how he handled it so that we can go to him in hell. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, and and that is a conditional statement, but in the Greek text, it's what we call a first class condition, which means it's assumed to be true. The devil ain't wondering, is Jesus really, are you really God? You don't look like him. You kind of, you know, he knows. You can say it, if you are the son of God, and we know you are. So if you are the son of God, and I know you are, then command this stone to become bread. Right, here's what, here's it's the arrogance of Satan, y'all. The arrogance. Okay, Jesus is the creator, which means what? He created Satan. He gave life to Lucifer. And the gall of Lucifer to stand before his creator and taunt him and humiliate him? And the greater thing is that Christ would allow it to happen. That he would submit himself to temptation. That he would come under the arrogance of the one he gave life to. I mean, it's dumbfounding. I mean, if if one of the interns comes into my office and says, Fowler, your sermon stunk. You need to start doing X, Y, and Z. I don't know if you guys actually know what you're doing. That will not go well for them. Okay, I'm just telling you. My sermon might have stunk and I might not know what I'm doing, but you ain't going to come into my office and say that. And I'm a nobody. Jesus is infinitely greater than Satan. Right? And he endures. And he could squish him like that. I mean, he crushed him and be like, this is done, we're over. I'm hungry. But he restrains himself, he endures the temptation, he submits to it, and even stays hungry. Think about that. Y'all are already thinking Golden Corral. You're thinking Barbaritas, I know. He stays hungry. And it's not a sin for Jesus to eat. It's not a sin for us to eat. It's not a sin for Jesus to create. He could have done it. It wouldn't have been sinful for him to physically do that. I mean, he's going to change water into wine. He's going to take a few loaves, a few fish, and make a basket loads. So creating something out of something, that's not a problem for him. It is not a sin for him. But the temptation is much more subtle than that. What Satan is saying is, well, if you're God, then why are you hungry? 
I mean, you're, you obviously cannot trust your father because your father's not feeding you. So what you need to do is you need to go out on your own. You need to blow this whole trinity joint up and you need to be your own boss and you need to take matters in your own hands. And, and since you're hungry, you need to get what's yours. You need to meet your needs right now. You don't need to worry about your father. I mean, you're God, right? Take matter in your own hands. You're God. And if it sounds familiar... It's because it is. Because Genesis 3, what is, what is Satan comes with the same tactic with Adam and Eve? Hey, Adam, God is keeping his best from you. Duh. God doesn't want your best. God's not after your best. Right? And we hear it today. I hear it all the time. I need to be happy. It's not, oh, God would never want me to be like this. God would never want me to suffer. God would never want me to struggle. Same argument, same temptation. You're just not God, so you're not getting tempted with creating rocks into bread. Same thing. You don't need to trust God. You don't need to follow him. If he's leading you into hardship, then you need to get, you need to get out. Right? Not a popular message. But Jesus responds with three powerful words. It is written. It is written. This is what scripture says. And he quotes Deuteronomy. Right? How many of you had your quiet times in Deuteronomy this week? Not many of you. Some of you are like, where's Deuteronomy? Is that a book? Yeah, it's a book in the Bible. It's in the top five, right? He quotes Deuteronomy and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Do you know what I love about that? Man. Jesus is man, right? He's human, added humanity to his deity. And he says, man, I shall not live by bread alone. And what he's saying is, hey, life is more than me. Life is more than bread. The purpose of life is not about making me happy. The purpose of life is doing the will of my father. And Jesus later in the gospel, John is, said, is gonna say, my food Disciples are like, you got more food? He's like, no, no. My food is to do the will of the Father. That's the purpose of life. So he attacks a lie with truth. With truth. And then the next, next temptation comes. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And I wonder if it was like a, you know, like minority report, like, you know, or something like that. You know, kind of this technology. I don't know. I have you know, sanctified imaginations. But whatever he did, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said, to you, and it's emphatic in the Greek text, this can be yours now. I, I, I have authority and their glory. It's been delivered to me. I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Take it. And, and again, Satan is the master craftsman with his speech and he always mixes a little truth with a little error it is true that he is the prince of the power of the air it is true that he is behind the world uh, governments and all these things which is why by the way you don't put your trust in chariots or horses or presidents or senators or congressmen because he is behind the world system right but he, he said it, it is true he's behind it but it is not true that he has authority to give it because it's not his forever His reign is temporary, and his power is limited. 
He's got, he, he doesn't just get to do what he wants. He's got to go to God and Job and ask for permission. Right? So God has limited what power he has. But it's a little truth and a little lie. But he said, his point is, you can have it all now. You can have it now. And it's a rationalization of why would you want to go to the cross? Why would you want to suffer? Why would you want to struggle? Why do you want to stay hungry? All you got to do, just one quick bow. One quick bow. I mean, the ends justify the means, right? It's yours anyway. It's going to be, why don't you have it now? Right? Unless you think that this is not a, a genuine temptation, three years later, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood and agony, what does he say? Father, if there is any other way, take this cup. Right? Jesus was not smiling on the cross. Yay! He was not, oh, I'm so excited. He was becoming the sin of man. He was getting the wrath of his father poured out on himself. He doesn't look forward to that. But he says, not my will. Because my food is to do the will of the father. And so Jesus responds again, just like before. Three powerful words. It is written. And once again, he quotes Deuteronomy. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Right? It's from the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6. It's one God and you worship him and him alone. And I love Matthew. This temptation is actually probably the third temptation in the order. Luke switches the order. He puts the Jerusalem temptation last because Jerusalem for him is always the climax of everything because it's where Jesus is going. But this is probably the last temptation. And I love Jesus' words in Matthew. He says, be gone, Satan. Get out of my face, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. I'm worshiping him. And if it means I go to the cross, so be it. But here's what's another interesting thing, by the way. At the end of Matthew, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, what's the first thing he tells the disciples? All authority in heaven and in earth. Same, same word that Satan was throwing out, exousia. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Why? Because he waited three years and went to a cross. There's no quick track to messianic glory. And praise God that he did it. His authority. So he says, go and make disciples. So second temptation done. Third temptation. Verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Probably on the corner, the east corner, that's overlooking the Kidron Valley. It's a 450-foot drop. And Josephus, the first-century Jewish historian, says that people would go up there and they would look down and they would get dizzy because it was so high. And there was no OSHA standards, right? So that's where the Jewish mafia threw out their people. No, that's not true, but probably true. And, but, but Satan says, if you are the Son of God, and again, it's that first-class condition, I know you are. So throw yourself down. Do a triple Indy duck dive off the kid, into the Kidron Valley. For it is written. Now now Satan, we got Satan quoting the Bible. You're so big on the Bible, Jesus. All right, let's talk some Bible. It says this, Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up. 
unless you strike your foot against a stone. Isn't it bother you just a smidge that, that Satan can pull out a psalm out of his pocket? I mean, doesn't that scare you just a smidge? That Satan knows the Bible better than you? Random psalm quotes the middle of it? It ought to. It ought to wake you up. He's quoting the Bible. <laughs> it must be true. It must be true that he's quoting the Bible. Right? But what sounds like a great act of faith is actually not. Because what he's saying is, why don't you prove, why don't you make sure that God is really for you? Why don't you make sure that you're really under his protective care? Why don't you make sure that you're really his son? I know you are. But why don't you make sure God is really for you? And what he's calling him to do is test God. To force God's hand. So that God's like, surely I have to save my son. But see, here's the thing. Jesus doesn't need to test God. He already knows he's his son. Why? Because he just said it. You are my beloved son. And you, I am well pleased. So he, again, once more, it is, it is said, quotes Deuteronomy, you should not put your Lord God to the test. And he quotes a passage that refers to when Israel put God to the test. They came out in the wilderness. They'd just been delivered, all these great miracles. And all of a sudden, there's no water and there's no food. And they're like, oh, God, it was better as a slave in Egypt. I'm thirsty. We had Dasani there. We got nothing here. And they tested God. And Jesus quotes that and says, don't test God. Do not test God. And so the devil, for the moment after he had ended every temptation, departed. Not forever, but just still an opportune time. But here's here's what I want you to see. Not one time during this entire temptation period, 40 days, did Jesus step out of his humanness and use his godness. He didn't kind of use the force like, you know, force lightning and all these crazy things. He stayed 100% human. And with the same exact resources that he has given us, goes toe-to-toe with the greatest enemy of mankind, Satan himself. As a man, could have stepped out and said, hey, I'm the second person in the Trinity, I'm God, boom, you're done. Didn't do it, not one time. Completely, entirely, the entire time relies on the same exact resources that he has given his church, the Spirit of Christ And the truth of the word of God. Period. He stood in the same spot. He had the same bloodline. He had all the same resources. Why? So that when you need help. When you are in a bind. When you are in the wilderness. When the enemy is attacking you. You can go to the help desk. And the help desk is not some 17 year old that doesn't know anything. It is someone who has been there. Who has done that. Has got the t-shirt. Knows it all. Yet without sin. And the writer to Hebrews as Drew quoted earlier. It says that he he doesn't give help to angels. God doesn't help angels, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, right? He says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful 
faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. He had to become man, so to take the sin from man, he had to be man, so he becomes man. But then it says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to do what? Help those who are being tempted. Because he was tempted, because he's been there, he offers help. And then a few chapters later, Drew quoted earlier, we have a high priest passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. He knows. One who has in every respect been tempted, yet without sin. He knows. You've been hurt? He's been hurt. You've been abandoned? He's been abandoned. You've been tired? He's been tired. You felt hated? He's felt hated. You've been disappointed? He's been disappointed. You get upset and angry? He is upset and angry, yet without sin. He's been in, you've been in situations? You're in a situation you do not like? He's been in situations that you didn't like. And so we go to him for help. And that's the conclusion of the passage. Let us with confidence then, with boldness, draw near. To receive mercy and find grace to what? Help in time of need. Right? That, the help desk church is open. And standing behind it is one who knows. And we just want to be a people that we go to him. We, we, we run the first place we go, not the last place. Well, I guess I better go to God. No, the first place we go is help. And, and as we kind of prepare our hearts for worship and just respond to worship, just kind of a couple thoughts uh, that I wrote down. Maybe this is just for me, but I think it's for all of us. Uh, related to this passage and related to that. And, and, you know, maybe you take some of these topics into your community groups. One of the things that we're doing with our community groups now is we're putting uh, some... some questions for you guys to kind of ask each other based on the sermon. They're going to be on the website, I think, today. I forget where, but I think it's somewhere where the sermons are. So if you're in a community group and you're, and you're meeting this week, there'll be questions. Let me say this about, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I am super excited about our community groups right now because they're all full, all right, which is kind of scary too. And we are trying our best to start new ones. We got 60 people that are waiting right now to get in a community group. And we just don't have, honestly, we don't have the leaders. So this is my shameless ploy. If you feel like, I, I, some of you could lead a group and you're just scared and timid and you need to step up and lead a group. And I, we will train you and I promise you, if we don't think you're ready to lead, we won't let you lead. Right, we'll be like, no, you ain't ready. All right, you got four members of your trinity. We're not putting you in front of there, okay? Uh, okay, so I promise you, but if you would at least be willing to take that step, put your name on a connect card and put it in the box. Because we got 60 people waiting to get into a group. And we're always seeing new people come to faith and new people come to the church. All right, shameless plug, back into the sermon. All right. Here's three things for us. Just to kind of think through, ask some questions about. Here's the first point. Is that God works in the wilderness. And that is not a popular thing, but that is a true statement. Like your life is going to be mountaintops and it is going to be valleys. Jesus just came from a mountaintop. You are my beloved son. And he ran right into the valley and the spirit of God led him there on purpose. The spirit of Christ led Christ to the harshest place possible on purpose. It's huge. Like I wish I could say to every premarital couple that comes in my office, I'll 
googly-eyed and, you know, they're holding their hands across the chair. <laughs> I wish I could tell them that everything was going to be great forever, that they'd never fight. I wish I could tell every young couple, never have a miscarriage. You'll never experience that. I wish I could tell every parent that your kids are going to be great. They're going to turn out great. They're all going to go to Harvard. I wish I could tell every person that they were going to love their job. They're going to make it to the fast track to the seal. Man, they're going to be making six figures in three years. I wish I could tell you that you're never going to lose a parent or spouse. You're never going to be lonely. Your transmission will never blow. You're always going to have great roommates. That God will never feel distant. You'll never be dry spiritually. That you'll never have to move to a city that you don't want to move to in Missouri. I'm not picking on you Missouri people. I just came to mind. I don't know why. I'm not going to tell you you won't ever be short on cash. I can't. I can't. I'd be lying to you. But here's what I can tell you about the wilderness. Three things. Number one, if you are there, it is not by accident. God has not led you there to destroy you. I know that. Okay, I know that. He never does. He intends your time of testing and trial to make you stronger, to learn that life is more than bread. It's more than you. And, and in your, in your wilderness, you might be in the wilderness 40 days like Jesus. You might be in the wilderness 40 years, y'all. Legit. Legit. You could get married, and then tomorrow your spouse gets MS. All right. Your wilderness might be longer, but, but here's the deal. One day, here's the third thing, you will come out of that wilderness. It might be in four days, it might be in 40 years. But you will come out of that wilderness. And I promise you, when you stand before the Savior, if you handle that well, you will forever be grateful. 80 years of suffering, even, compared to the eternal glory of heaven, it's nothing. Nothing. Right? And so... God works. Think about what's in the wilderness. Victory is in the wilderness. Spiritual growth is in the wilderness. Holiness is in the wilderness. Right? And so don't, don't despise it. All of God's greatest saints spent time in the wilderness. Moses, 40 years. David, like 12 years. Right? John the Baptist, his whole life. Jesus, 40 days. There's a time of wilderness for all of us. It's shaping. Second thing is this. I'm reminded of, of God's word being powerful. I mean, God's word. Why do I preach the way I preach? I mean, why do we work through books of the Bible primarily? Because truth is powerful. It just is. I can come up with happy, happy, joy, joy things every week. But, but that's not going to change you. The truth is is powerful. And if you are going to be powerful in your life, then it will be related to your dependence and knowledge of the truth. And look, I'm not saying go have your quiet times in Deuteronomy. Although it's very interesting that Jesus battles the enemy with Deuteronomy. Right? We would be like, oh, I got Romans. I got some James. He goes to Deuteronomy. But the point is the word of God is powerful. And 
when you are in the wilderness, that is the, that is the time you need the word and truth even more so. And some, because the temptation in the wilderness is to listen to yourself. And you can talk yourself into anything, I'm telling you. And so when you are dry or broken or in the wilderness, the last thing you want to do is listen to yourself. What you want to do is actually preach to yourself, which is what the psalmist does when he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's yelling at himself. He says, hope in God. And then he goes on to say, I will remember God. When you are in that place of despair, what you need is, is, is to come back to the promises of God. Peter calls them precious and magnificent promises. You need them. You need to know them. If you're struggling with a sin, and look, I don't care. I mean, you, know, you may be on this wing in the charismatic, or you might be frozen chosen. I don't care where you are. When Jesus is attacked with sin, he quotes scripture. Now, I'm not saying walking down the street, be gone, Satan. I'm not saying good doing all that, because then you look like an idiot. But if there's an area in your life that you are struggling with, pride, uh, you know, humbleness, selfishness, what you need to do is you need to go to the scripture and memorize truth so that when you're feeling that temptation, it's no, 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 no. This is what the scripture says. When you're tempted to go out and, and get bombed on a Friday night, no, 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 do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. When you're tempted to look over there, no, 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 lust of the flesh. Whoever looks upon, guard my heart so they don't look upon a virgin, Lord. Whoever commits adultery in his heart, that's adultery in God's mind. All these principles from Scripture, you have them to battle the enemy. Some of you are weak and easily deceived because you don't know truth. And again, Satan is not come blatant like, yeah, go worship this totem pole. He, he mixes just enough error with truth so that it's completely wrong, but it sounds good. Which is why, you know, you got to be so careful. And you got to know the truth, Right? Don't give in to your emotions. Don't, don't turn what you're back to your old ways and your old lifestyle. Stand your ground. Cling to the truth of God's promises. Lean on community. Don't buy into the Dr. Phil Christianity. Right? I mean, if you, you know, Christian psychobabble, there's some good things out there, and there's some junk. Well, it's because your mom never fed you Lucky Charms, and that's why you're like this. Well, she should have fed you Lucky Charms, and it has nothing to do with why you're acting like this. All right, go to the truth. And my last thing is this, and this is my closing piece in all worship, is that God delights in helping his people. And, and I thought about this when I, when I wrote this down yesterday. I thought, and I don't. I was just thinking about my week. You know, when I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just like finally resting and I hear one of my kids upstairs say, Dad, help, I need a towel. As they're in the shower, I'm thinking, Air drying is just fine, kid. <laughs> I ain't coming up them stairs for you. As you're bad. You should have checked. That's what I'm thinking. For my wife, I'm, I'll be something else. And, honey, help. I need you to do this. I'm like, ah. Got to help the wife. Forget the kids. We got to help the wife. And that's my response. Uh, can I just tell you that your father never goes, ah. That he is actually, it's almost like he's on the edge of the throne. So when you're like, help, he's already up. Because you have a father and you have a savior and you have a spirit who's called the helper. Who, 
He says, what is he, we read it in Hebrews 4. He says, come with boldness. Come with confidence. You get to come into the throne room of God Almighty at will with boldness. You're not like, oh man, should I go in? What are they busy in there? Try that with any other leader in the world. Try to get into your boss's office just bust it open. Try to go to the inauguration next week and just say, hey, I'm here to see Trump. <laughs> Try to go to the head of the, to the mayor's office or your principal. Try to get in. Try to get an appointment with a doctor or just walk in. Hey, I need to be seen right now. God says, come into my throne room at any time. Come boldly, come confidently. You don't come in your own confidence. You don't come confidence what you've done. We have confidence, why? Because this God became a man, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in your place for your sins so that you could have access to him. He has done it all. And now he says, look, I stood in your place. Same bloodline, same resources I've given you. You need help? Help desk is open. Right? Help desk is open. That's where we go as, your, as his church, as his people. And so we're going to worship and we're going to respond. If, if, look, if you're here today, and I haven't, told, I haven't primed anybody, so uh, if you're a pastor, elder uh, in this church, if you need prayer, your leaders would love to pray for you, and we'll be down front. And when we see someone, if you need, if you need someone just to pray with you, I need prayer right now for X. So, you know, so pastors, elders, leaders, you guys just kind of keep your eyes up as we worship. But just come on down. We'd love to pray with you. If you need anything, your pastoral staff is here. We're right across the street in the gardens. That's what that building is over there, the gardens. We're there. You need to meet with a counselor? We got some. You need to talk to somebody? We got some. We got men, we got women. So please come. Not that we have all the answers, but we can point you to him. And we will. That's what the church does. And, and don't be ashamed. Jesus was not ashamed. We are broken. That's why you're here. You are, on, you are at church on a Sunday because you are sinful and needy. But Jesus loves sinners. Jesus died for sinners. So let's worship. Stand with me. We'll pray. We'll worship our Savior who says, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have condescended to us. That the miracle that God becomes a man so that you could satisfy your own wrath and your own holiness. That you were crucified for us. That you were resurrected to declare yourself the son of God in power. And those who trust in you in faith forever have eternal life. I pray for someone now that may need this morning to put their faith in Christ. Just draw them, open their minds, open their eyes, Lord Jesus. Give them faith. And for us who need help, Lord, who are just kind of hiding, that are just, you know, trying to do their own thing and manage their own thing, let them come out of the darkness into the light and find a God who gives help, a very present help in time of need. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. <laughs>